Soft as it began, by Rubber Soul 02, Chapter 21. Draco Malfoy is like smoke. Before she knew him, he was elusive, tethered to nothing, hard to see through, a warning signal in and of himself, because where there is smoke, there is fire. Breathe it in, and it coats your lungs forever. With or without the feeling she has for him, he is a part of her now. She has breathed him in, been in his presence long enough to be invariably changed by him, by the things he has shown her, about the world, about herself, about him. And should she die, left to the hands of a coroner, they'd cut her open to find pieces of him everywhere, reminders that he'd been in her life and that some small parts of her had attuned themselves to having him around. She was still her, built around the same intelligence, confidence and determination she's had since she was a little girl, who'd admired fireflies in a jar, and hoped that the world held the same sense of wonder and promise she had always felt inside of her. But he would be there too, a part of her, just as other people and places and things had shaped her in some way or another. Because she knows that she is not built of singularities. She has read the poetry. She understands the different facets of her life that allow her to contain multitudes. Mountains, oceans, skies and valleys, earth and sky, and water and smoke. So yes, where there is smoke, there is fire. Catching quickly, hard to extinguish. And Draco Malfoy is something alight in this world. Warm and beautiful and unstoppable. Somehow, she'd come to enjoy playing with fire. And she's glad to have been changed by him, and glad to have known him through his worst and his best, happy to scorch her lungs and brand her skin with his touch. She's been lying beside him in her bed, counting down the minutes until they have to get up and get ready to leave for Finland. He's sleeping still, each breath slow and even, his eyes flitting back and forth under translucent eyelids as he dreams, she wonders what about. Eight minutes. Assuming all goes well, this might be their last day here, their last morning. They'd both packed light travel bags for the journey and shrunk them down so they'd be easier to carry. An extra set of clothes, some necessary supplies, Hermione's map, and a few euros they could exchange for other currency if needed. The ritual book, the resurrection stone, port keys, wands, They'd taken care in their planning the past few days, ironing out the details and preparing for every scenario they could think of. They were as ready as they could be. Seven minutes. They'll go to Finland, and with the address that Blaze gave them, they'll sneak into the land agent's office and find the documentation on Harry's unplottable land. They'll cross off their findings, and they'll be able to find him, crossing their fingers and toes, wherever he may be. If that doesn't work out, they'll take transportation to Russia and see if they can find the location of Merlin's burial place. At the very least, Harry might be hanging around there as he figures out a way to reverse the spell. There are so many unknowns. What if Harry had been chasing something impossible? What if the Hallows, like their owner, were immortal, indestructible, irreversible? What if he'd wasted all of his time for nothing? How much longer might this go on for, and what might happen if the Hallows were now a permanent part of him? Would he be in danger for the rest of his life? Would he always be searching for answers? If someone killed him and took the Hallows for themselves, would the world need saving again? And could it be saved if Harry Potter wasn't around to save it?
six minutes. But it wouldn't do to ruminate so heavily on questions like this. The answers would come eventually, and when they did, she would take it from there, one step at a time, on her own if she had to. She's wary of the fact that Draco couldn't do this with her forever, that if someone went terribly wrong and they had to go back to square one, she'd need to let him go, back to Wiltshire, to his mother, to the Howler. Five minutes. Beside her, Draco finally stirs, shifting under the sheets, his eyelashes fluttering open. Hermione's stomach swoops at the sight of him, and what a sight it is. As Draco slowly swims into consciousness, Hermione pushes herself up on her elbows and climbs down on the bed, following the hard planes of his stomach before placing a kiss on his torso. And another, and another, as he opens his eyes to look at her, a smile twitching onto his lips. Her heart flutters at the sight of it, and without thinking she presses her lips to the lean muscle above his navel, and blows softly, her lips vibrating against his skin. Draco props an arm under his head, angling his chin so he can look at her as he gives her a strange expression. Did you just give me a raspberry granger? He lets out a husky, disbelieving laugh. I guess I did, she laughs softly in return, kissing his stomach once more before leaning forward to rest on his chest bending her elbows and propping her chin onto her hands. What did you think? I think I'd like to go back to sleep and pretend it never happened, he frowns, only the slightest hint of teasing to his voice. So you'd like me to do it again? She deadpans, moving to straddle him before crawling upwards, an impish grin on her lips. Draco glares at her, his frown deepening significantly. Granger, I'm warning you. She lunges for his neck before he can finish her sentence, pressing her lips to the sensitive skin under his ear and blowing as he wriggles violently to get away. She's only able to get a few seconds in before he's flipping them over. The money lands with a bounce against the mattress, and Draco stretches her arms upwards, pinning her wrists down while wearing a proud, triumphant look as he leans over her, his face hovering a foot or so above hers. She wiggles, but Draco's grip only tightens, his tongue resting in the back of his cheek as his eyes fall over her, his expression smug and cocky. You don't listen very well, do you? Not to you, she confirms, slightly breathless. His eyes are fiery as he shakes his head. You're a menace. Then, with a look of unmistakable challenge, his eyes locked on hers, he dips his head down, his lips hovering only millimetres over her sternum his breath tickling her and drawing goosebumps over her pale skin. He's trying to kill her with anticipation, teasing her with the absence of kisses he could place along her torso at any second, but he doesn't. He holds eye contact as he breathes his way up her body, over her breasts and collarbone, only ever accidentally grazing her skin with the slightest touch of his lips. Her body is drawn tight, waiting, frozen as he brushes past her throat and up her jaw, where he pauses, his lips hovering above her own. She sucks in a breath, trapped in his silvery stare as his lips inch closer and closer, so slowly she thinks that time might be stuck in slow motion. Then, with his lips just barely skimming hers, he stops, perfectly still, and smiles. Time to get up, I think, he whispers, his voice dripping like expensive velvet. 
Her stomach plummets with disappointment as he pushes up and away, leaving her in bed entirely unsatisfied, aching as he strolls from the room as if nothing had happened. Do you ever wonder who's lived here before us? No, he replies easily, firmly. Why not? She pinches her brows and scrunches her nose, watching him place his muffin halves in the toaster. Knowing who lived here previously has no direct impact on me. Why would I waste my time thinking about it? Curiosity? Otherwise known as being nosy. I do think they'll know or care that I'm wondering about them. He turns to face her, crossing his arms over his chest as his eyes flicker with amusement. Should we leave a note for the next tenant, Granger? Tell them which rooms we've christened. That the fourth stair from the bottom creaks especially when you have a habit of stomping around like a hippogriff and have no sense of mindfulness for others. Or we could sign our names on the wall in blood and give them a little scare. Might soothe their future curiosity. What do you think? She frowns. Eat your toast, you git, or I'll leave you here to give them a little scare. Unlikely. Have you seen my strawberry jam anywhere? No, I must be hiding in the same place my mum and I went. Unfortunate, isn't it? You do my head in, Granger. I think we should call a truce. She gives him a devilish grin. Never. She'd like to tell herself that she can feel his presence. That as they'd landed in Finland, it was clear to her that he'd been here. That he was close. Reachable. But she'd be lying to herself if she did. All she feels is the same sense of unfamiliarity she has with every other city they've been to. Ljubljana, Copenhagen... Lucrene. Harry had been there once, but he'd been successful in staying hidden, like a breath in the wind, there and gone. A heavy sense of dread and anticipation fills Hermione's every pore. Finland's capital, Helsinki, has a generous and vibrant wizarding community. After she and Draco had found the hidden entrance to the city, Hermione's brain had turned on autopilot. She can hardly take in her surroundings as they stride purposefully through the dark streets towards their destination, barely noticing owners' close-up shops as they pass by, offering them friendly nods and quiet greetings. The only thing solid, besides the plan she keeps going over in her head and the one secured in her hip, is Draco. Just feeling him move beside her, his familiar presence, knowing that she has him to rely on, the only thing that's keeping her from feeling her anxiety down to her bones. Draco, on the other hand, looks calm, his outward presentation entirely relaxed, expressionless. He's an anchor in a storm. Draco follows her lead when she turns into a small nook in between two buildings, looking over her shoulder for lingering eyes as she does. Without prompting, Draco performs a disillusionment charm over both of them as Hermione inspects the map double-checking the address Blaze had given them. They were close, minutes away from the small office where Axel Koshi, the dubious land agent who had sold Harry cheap and plottable land, conducted its business. If his business hours were the same as they'd been advertised, he should have left the office just over an hour ago after closing up shop. As they moved closer to the destination, a disillusionment charm proves mostly unnecessary precaution. The streets are eerily empty, and only one or two passers-by cross paths with her and Draco as they sink deeper into the bowels of the shadowy city. When they reach it, a single street sconce illuminates the small metal plaque outside of Axel's office. 
Koshki Properties, Inc. Home is where no one can find you. Well, that's promising, Draco mutters under his breath, before they slink into the short, narrow alleyway tucked between the office and its neighbour, a far more pleasant-looking establishment that displayed various hats and fall cloaks in the showcase window. It was August, after all. Autumn would soon be upon them. A rusted, ominous-looking side door at the end of the alley is their way in. Hermione tucks the map carefully away into her bag, pulling her wand from her hip and whispering a soft lumos as they reach the door. Sure you don't want to trade jobs, Granger? You stand watch while I look inside? Hermione looks up at him, her lumos casting a blue glow on his striking features. And let you have all the fun, she whispers back, giving him an affronted look. No, thank you. Revelio. She casts the charm towards the door, waiting and watching for wards or complicated locking spells to reveal themselves, but none do. She performs a few other advanced detection spells for good measure, but apparently Max or Koshi is either too dim or too trusting to such dramatic measures. Alohomora. The door unlocks and swings open noiselessly, revealing a dark corridor inside. Her breath catches in her throat, her heart pounding against her ribcage as she squints. Certain she must have missed some booby trap or three-headed guard dog that would make her job a lot harder. But there's nothing. Draco clears his throat softly behind her as she turns to face him, swallowing the heavy lump in her throat. Don't mess around in there, Granger, yeah? Get in and get out, he tells her sternly. His own wand at the ready. It has started to drizzle and the raindrops fall artlessly onto the fabric of his cloak, the side of his cheek. Have you always been this bossy? She asks, feeling the warm, sparse water hit down her exposed skin, one drop plopping onto the bridge of her nose as she inspects his cool expression. The thunder booms in the distance, low and resounding, a sound she can feel in her bones. Let's just say I've always been overshadowed, he replies, a lilt to his tone that implies he is teasing, even as he stares her down with a look so serious she has to wonder if he's worried for her. Don't die, Granger, he tells her, his final word as he jaunts his chin in the direction of the doorway, raindrops sliding down his pale cheekbone as the muscle leaps on his neck. She takes him by surprise when she leans forward and presses her lips against his, slick with rainwater and on the tail end of a shaky exhale. She fists the front of his robes tightly, pulling him forward so she can kiss him harder, her adrenaline pumping through her fingertips and limbs when he finally relents and kisses her back. I'll be right back, she tells him, watching a droplet of water dance down the shell of his ear, falling onto his shoulder below. Draco nods, his eyes flashing as he steps back to let her through the door. Another cavernous roar of thunder, closer this time, before the door closes behind her, and she finds herself alone in a dark corridor. The office is small enough for her to easily navigate her way round. At the end of the corridor is a small waiting room, with a desk and a quartet of uncomfortable-looking chairs. On the walls are pictures of houses, modest but quaint, a far cry from what Blaze warned them in the properties might actually look like. It seemed that Axel Kochki was in the business of scamming innocent wizards and witches. She only hopes that Harry had settled for what he'd found, whatever the condition, that he hadn't bought the place only to pack up and leave. Maybe he'd gotten lucky. Maybe Axel had given him a half-decent place to rest his tired bones. 
she can only hope. There are only a few other rooms in the office, a tiny lavatory, Axel's own personal workroom, and a room filled top to bottom with filing cabinets. As she steps past the doorway, she keeps her ears open for signs of trouble. She and Draco had decided on three knocks to the door, should he need to raise an alarm, but she'd heard nothing yet, just the soft pattering of rain on the roof and the distant rumble of thunder. In the room, Hermione can feel the familiar buzz of nearby wards, the frantic tingle of strong magic filling the air as she steps carefully closer to the cabinets, her eyes searching across the alphabetical labels for the letter D, Vernon Dudley. If Axel had been trusting enough to not ward the side of the door, he'd at least taken precautions when it came to confidentiality of his customer's information. The buzz of magic grows louder as she singles in on the set of filing cabinets, fourth from the right, stacked three high. She inspects the set of cabinets as she chews the inside of her lip, the light from her wand illuminating the metal with cool spectral glow. Some protective enchantments were stronger than others, but most could be broken, with the right amount of time and skill. She can only hope that she has enough of both. She performs another detection spell, which reveals nothing but a set of wards just complicated enough to stump the average witch or wizard. But Hermione is not an average witch, and it is times like these, when Draco is waiting outside for her in the rain without someone to have his back, should danger arise, when Hermione isn't afraid to acknowledge that as fact. Truth. Undisputable. Reliable. Solid. She knows it for a fact that she will make quick work of dismantling these spells. And she does. It's only minutes before the glow from the protective enchantments falls dim, the air less jagged with the hum of magic, as if a breeze has blown through the room and washed away a layer of humidity. Her every atom is on fire, with anticipation, as she pulls open the first drawer and rifles her fingers through each file, looking for Harry's alias with a meticulous eye. She finds it in the third and final cabinet beside a customer called Peter Danilov, because despite the alphabetical organisation of the cabinets themselves, Axel is apparently not so organised when it comes to actually needing it. Vernon Dudley's file is thin, a manila folder with a small stack of papers tucked neatly inside. Unplottable land wouldn't have an address listed for it. Going somewhere in plotted meant you had to know the location or have someone show it to you. So Hermione looks for the only thing she knows will get her to Harry. A picture. Something she could look at, a general idea of where he might be so she can apparate to him. She holds her breath and searches, hoping to find one, hoping that it was somewhere close enough to apparate to. And then, on the page after the signed land ownership title, is a picture. A house on elevated land surrounded by dense forest. Fir trees, thick, green, spiky needles. A lake below dark blue and narrow like a river. The house simple and sad-looking, but bigger than she'd expected. She takes it in, memorises it, looks at every detail she can, until she can close her eyes and picture it behind her lids, as if she's looking at it with her open eyes. Below the picture is a few lines of messy handwriting that read, Plot number 164. Location, Finland. The southeast. Russian border. She duplicates the page and shrinks it, stuffing it unceremoniously into her bag before shutting the drawer of cabinets with a clamouring thunk. 
Thunder pulses loudly outside, and she's desperate to get back to Draco, to tell him what she has found and apparate them to Harry. On shaky legs, she recasts similar wards to the one she dismantled before leaving the room, stalking down the corridor and bursting through the door to the alleyway with a smile tugging at her lips. Draco, I've... She swallows a scream. He's beat up. Blood, crimson streaked half clear with rain, streaming down his forehead and over his eye. His lip is puffy and one of his eyes is swollen shut, the result of a badly performed stinging jinx. But his appearance isn't what startles her most. It's the man holding him. McNair Jr. looks just as he did the last time Hermione had seen him, scruffy and frightening, wild eyes and dark stubble, a crooked grin that turns her stomach into knots. McNair holds Draco against him, his wand pointed to the juggler vein on his neck. Draco's body is bound by an incarcerous spell that keeps him immobile, unable to properly fight against the strength of his captor's hold. The rope digs tightly into Draco's shoulders, his thighs, covering his mouth so he can't speak, can't yell for help. He looks like a caged animal, an anger radiating from him that's so hot and palpable that it makes him look wild. Dangerous. Move even an inch and I'll kill him faster than you can blink, comes McNair's opening warning. His voice is pure poison, as if spilled from a bottle, hissing its way out and dissolving into the air. He shoves his wand harder into Draco's flesh, grinning maniacally as Draco hisses in pain beneath the ropes around his mouth. Hermione does what she's told, despite every part of her being that tells her to do the opposite, to lift her wand and fight. Her fingers twitch around the slim wood, rain falling harder now and beginning to soak through her hair and robes. Let him go, she demands, her voice rumbling with a mixture of anger and fear. McNair raises an eyebrow, as if amused that she has the nerve to speak to him in such a way. Wearing a gruesome smile, he knocks Draco's skull against the brick wall, a chilling, ear-splitting sound that swells sickly in Hermione's gut. Draco groans, doubling over as blood continues to leak from his head onto the wet pavement below. McNair jostles him, pulling Draco's weak body tighter to his chest, as his wand stays buried in the soft flesh under Draco's chin. How had she not heard what was happening outside? Had the thunder muffled the spells? Had Draco not had time to warn her? You have something of mine, McNair says, baring his teeth in an animalistic manner, his words echoing through Hermione's ears as loudly as thunder. I'd like it back. Draco uses his remaining energy to lift his chin, looking up at her with one pleading eye. Go, he seems to say. Go. She shakes her head ever so subtly in response. No, her eyes tell him. Never. The stone in exchange for this pathetic blood traitor, McNair taunts, taking hold of the hair of the back of Draco's head before wrenching it violently upwards, exposing his neck and the tip of McNair's wand, which is bruising Draco's translucent skin. Hermione can see Draco's wand on the ground in the corner of the alley, unreachable to either of them. Her own wand is clenched tightly in her fist, pointed at the ground by her side. She's faster at casting them at Nair, she remembers from last time. But by even lifting her arm, she risks harm to Draco. McNair's spell work was sloppy but nasty, and she doesn't doubt that a single movement from her would end Draco's body falling limply to the pavement. 
So she stalls, needs a moment to collect her thoughts, to weigh her options. Draco grunts under the ropes, begging, imploring. You keep quiet now, Malfoy, McNair warns, his eyes dark and completely unhinged. He rips Draco's head back farther, causing him to release a muffled shout of agony. Or I'll kill you now, and then your filthy little mud-blood bitch girlfriend. McNair turns his gaze towards her, giving her a threatening grin. How did you figure out it was me? Hermione asks, stalling further. I was wearing a glamour in Warsaw. How did you know where to find us? Her fingers twitch against her wand, her magic fizzing wildly in her skin as if it's begging her to use it. It takes her entire willpower to ignore it, to stay still. Draco coughs, a terrible wheeze that signals his pain. His one useful eye locked on her as more blood gushes down the side of his face. Strangely enough, she doesn't notice how cold she's become, how both terror and rain have soaked through her, leaving her shivering and covered in a layer of goose pimples. She's numb to it. Her body has disappeared. It's her mind that is important now. Her next steps are the difference between life and death. And she's terrified. Terrified that she'll make the wrong choice. She doesn't want to think about the things she'd have to witness if she did. McNair laughs, a horrible grating sound that makes Hermione clench her jaw, gritting her teeth together to withstand it. Wasn't all that hard to figure out, princess, he says, cocking his head to the side in amusement. I knew it was only a matter of time before Potter's followers would come looking for him. After your little stunt in Warsaw, I did a bit of research. Turns out there's only one binge stupid enough to keep searching for him after all these years. The mudblood pain in the ass with a smart mouth. And how did you know where we're here? She asks, keeping her chin high and expression empty. She doesn't let her face betray the awful pounding of her heart. The anxiety that curdles her insides and puts a sour taste in her mouth. McNair grins. Put a tracking spell on the stone. Her heartbeat falters and then quickens. Had he known where they'd been the whole time? You put a tracking spell on a powerful magical object. McNair shrugs like it's no big deal, letting Draco's head lob forward. Luckily, I'm a very patient person. Wherever it is you two were hiding out in Poland, the wards were too strong for my spell to pinpoint your location. Kept pointing me in the wrong direction, messing with me head. Strong magic. When you finally moved, my spell tracked you to a muggle city in Switzerland. Problem is, McNair licks his lips, blinking through the rain. Got myself into a bit of trouble that day. Couldn't get there until after you'd already left. So I had to bide my time. Tonight, I tracked you to Finland and, well, lucky me. He gives Hermione a wicked grin, his eyes trailing up and down her body in a way that makes her shiver. My old friend Malfoy, sharing Potter's whore. Draco struggles against his binds and McNair tuts, drawing out his lips in a phony pout as he shoves him forward, jostling him just for the fun of it. Such a disappointment you turned out to be, Draco. Letting your father rot in a cell while you run around playing hero. Draco glares upwards at McNair, with a level of ferocity Hermione has never seen before. Now if you don't mind, hand me back the stone in five seconds. I'm going to kill him. Tick tock, darling. She looks at Draco, and then back at McNair, her gut clenching and bile rising in her throat as the seconds tick by. Fine, 
she spits, giving Draco a meaningful look. She's breathing hard, rain-soaked curls sticking to her cheek, her mouth a hard line as she concentrates on summoning her magic. Good girl, thunder rolls, near and deafening. Hermione lets her magic fill her, pointing her wand as subtly as possible as she sends a wordless expelliarmus to McNair's wand. It flies from his hand over to her, and she makes her next move before he can react, shooting a curse at him that sends him flying back into the wall. He hits it with a reckoning force, a terrible cracking noise that might be confused for the thunder, before landing on the ground in a heap and moving. Hermione runs towards Draco, muttering a quick spell to untie him as she does. She slumps forward on her knees, releasing a groan as his palms hit the wet pavement, blood and spit leaking from his lips into a puddle below. Draco! She's beside him then, clutching him, making sure he's real, relieved that he's alive. I need you to side along with me, she demands, her voice wobbly with urgency, firm and demanding and frightened. Can you handle that? McNair groans from behind them, injured but apparently not indisposed and begins to push himself to his hands and knees with a moan of rage. Don't think I have much choice here, <laughs> Granger. Draco coughs, straightening with a pained expression as McNair crawls quickly over to Draco's abandoned wand in the corner of the alley. Shit, she'd forgotten it was there. He picks it up and sends a spell their way from the ground, a furious roar leaving his lips as he does. Hermione blocks it easily with a shield charm but McNair recovers quickly, sending another straight after it. Give me the other wand, Granger, Draco demands, and she tosses McNair's wand to him, which he catches with ease despite the use of only one eye. Stupefy! McNair blocks it, but not before he hits Hermione with a slicing jinx to the shoulder. She falls back, crying out in pain as blood soaks quickly through the fabric of her shirt. She's lucky his aim had been off. A slice this bad to her neck would have killed her in seconds. Momentarily dizzy with the pain, she presses her opposite palm to the wound, staunching the blood flow. Draco upholds the spell on their end, blocking Minaire's relentless attack with shield charms, unable to look her way without risking being hit. He's yelling something at her, but her ears are ringing. She's losing too much blood already. Stumbling, she moves a foot or so away ducking behind a couple of large bins that have been pushed against the wall of the alley. The pain is hot and blinding, and her wand arm has been rendered useless by the location and severity of her wound. Granger! Draco yells through the rain. She can see one half of his body from behind the bin, and watches him move with practiced agility, missing a blot of purple light by a hair's breadth. Are you all right? Yes! she yells back. Liquid scarlet leaking past her fingers. She's dizzy, losing enough blood that she wonders if she might pass out. Her shock has momentarily numbed the pain, but her head is screaming at her to get back out there, to help Draco, to protect him. She needs to act quickly. She summons her energy, yelling at him through the rain as she uses a spell to tightly bandage her arm. It's not as effective as a proper healing spell, but it keeps pressure on the wound and it's the best you can do for now. Draco, we need to leave. Now. On three, Draco yells back, a few feet away from her as he whips spells one after the other at McNair. Three. 
She looks up over the edge of the bins, spotting McNair at the end of the alley as he throws up an effective shield charm that dissolves Draco's disarming spell easily. Two. She stands, shooting another spell with her non-dominant hand at McNair, which only narrowly misses his head. Draco points his wand at a spot on the ground in front of McNair, shouting a spell Hermione has heard but never used. A plume of dark smoke explodes as the spell lands, and McNair's shape becomes lost in it, only a silhouette. One. Now! Draco yells, rushing towards Hermione. They crash into one another, meeting in the middle of the short space between them and knocking their injured bodies together so hard that their breaths are punched out. It's a blur as it happens. A rush, a hazy image behind the sleet of rain and smoke and the darkness in the alleyway. She barely catches it from the corner of her eye as McNair emerges from the fog. He lunges towards them, arms outstretched, and far too close for comfort in the short alleyway. Squeezing her eyes shut, Hermione conjures a mental image of the house she'd seen in the picture, and clenching her fingers tightly around Draco's wrists, tunnels all of her concentration into sending them there. Her apparition twists them through space, pulling and stretching as pain shoots through her arm, the wound from McNair's hex still far too fresh for optimal apparition. She thinks she screams. Knows it's very possible that the shrill, harpy-like noise is her own sound of agony, as they're ripped through the air, landing messily on the ground, much shorter than the witch they'd left behind. She's groggy as she stiffs her head, and so, at first, she thinks she's imagining it, and that she has knocked herself unconscious and is having a nightmare. But no, the pain is too immediate, too all-encompassing for her to be asleep, and when her eyes finally focus, the blurry figure only feet away from her shifting in the darkness, she knows that it's real. McNair Jr. has followed them here. He must have gotten hold of Draco as it apparated, but Hermione had not felt it. And now he's pushing himself up off the thick grass and lunging for his wand, which Draco must have lost hold of during their landing. Hermione lifts her head, her vision hazy as it settles on Draco. Draco has no wand. She moves her fingers, wiggling them, and finding them empty as well. Where is her wand? Where is her wand? Where is her wand? Where is her wand? Where is Draco's wand? Panic fills her, swelling in her throat as McNair stands. He shouts one single word, and despite how muggy the rest of the world is around her, she hears it loud and clear. Crucio! Another scream rips through her ears, though she knows without a doubt that this one is hers. She can feel it in her throat, vibrating like an animal clawing its way out of her. The pain is like nothing she's felt before. Only she has felt this before, hasn't she? She'd forgotten what it was like, which only makes this time worse. Because nothing could have prepared her for it, not even Bellatrix using the same unforgivable curse all those years ago. It's like she's been dunked in liquid fire, which penetrates through her every layer. Skin tendons, bone, organs, all submerged into this blistering, potent torture. She can't focus on anything but it, and can't remember who she is or why she is here, can't hear the voices screaming behind her, the voice that is Draco's. She's not sure how long it goes on for, though it feels like it could be years, like a culmination of every pain one feels throughout their entire life because she could not understand how someone could feel this much pain in only a few seconds or minutes. 
and then it stops suddenly like that and she doesn't know how something that powerful could so quickly be finished when it had momentarily ended up her reality and what's left is a foggy throbbing feeling a heaviness to her body that only allows her to lift her head and see two figures close by streaks of bright colour soaring through the air one after another like fireworks or shooting stars a head of blonde hair an enemy one an ally now no not just an ally a friend a lover he fights with such precision such calculation that his opponent barely has time to send spells back mcnair puts up a shield charm after shield charm getting the shots he can between each cast but draco is better quicker smarter angrier and so when he sends a spell that hits mcnair directly in the center of his chest knocking him backwards with a force like lightning Hermione knows that it's over. She blinks, begging her eyes to adjust to the darkness, to refocus, because she's been temporarily blinded by pain. She watches McNair struggle in the ropes, his mouth sealed, his eyes fiery with disdain, immobile as Draco had been only minutes earlier. She turns her head to the other side, feeling the grass beneath her cheek as she zeroes in on Draco, kneeling only a few feet from her, hardly recognisable. His breathing is heavy, wand pointed at McNair as veins jump and twitch in his neck and forehead. He is deliberating something, watching McNair with a gut-wrenching expression of hatred and relief. His wand hand shakes, visibly, though it's lined up perfectly with his target. McNair screams through the ropes, last-ditch attempt to be saved. For a moment, she wonders if Draco is going to kill him. Then she realises she knows that he won't. And he doesn't, just as Harry had sworn he'd done in the astronomy tower the night that Albus Dumbledore died. Draco lowers his wand. Expelling a breath, he turns to face Hermione. His silver eyes land on hers, and when they gleam in the moonlight, softening at the sight of her, he's grateful she is alive to witness it. He's at her side then, helping her to sit up. Slowly, so slowly and performing a spell to heal the long wound from McNair's slicing hex. McNair struggles in his binds, only feet away from them, his wand too far for him to reach, his body too incapacitated to even try. You're not going to tire me, Granger, are you? Draco asks, his voice low and close and refreshingly warm, like honey. He continues his wand work, holding Hermione's body as it trembles with the aftershocks of McNair's Cruciatus curse. She feels Draco's magic pulse through her like medicine, stitching skin and clearing her head as everything slowly returns to her, the world mending itself before her eyes, reshaping and refocusing. Sorry to disappoint you, but no, she chokes out weakly through the subsiding pain as Draco's wand completes a few basic healing spells. When she's sure she's not going to pass out, Hermione lets Draco help her sit up. She lets herself take a good look at him. He's just as injured as she is, if not more. She swipes her thumb under his fringe, which is wet with rain and stuck to his forehead, the white blonde strands tinged pink from his own blood. But just as she lifts her wand to return the favour and heal him, Draco freezes, his eyes settling on the spot behind her widening as his lips part. Granger? 
Her brows pull together in question, just before Draco jaunts his chin over her shoulder, his body stiff, frozen beside her. Her blood turns to ice, because in all the commotion she'd forgotten. When she turns around, dragging her sore, aching body a full 180 degrees, the air in her lungs turns to stone. It's the house. The one from the picture. It sits maybe thirty feet behind them, partly hidden by the kind of thick fog that only comes after a warm, heavy rain. She squints, her pulse something living under her skin, searching the darkness until she zeroes in on him. Standing just outside the front door, the figure emerges from the mist. And there he is. A beautiful ghost, his black hair scruffy and unruly as it always has been, his eyes green and sparkling with that fighting heart he has, that lightning scar still there on his forehead, faded, proof that it's him. It feels like a dream, like time hasn't really passed, and it has actually only been hours or minutes since the final battle, when a boy of eighteen gave his life to kill the most powerful dark wizard alive. Her friend, whom she had loved and lost and lost again, who had grown with her, boy to man, girl to woman. She's sure that most of the scars they carry are still the same. Deep, mottled, ugly things that are so strangely happy reminders of what had brought them together. The man who'd seen her first heartbreak, as she had seen his. Who believed in her more than almost anyone she'd ever met. Someone she'd laughed and mourned with. Whom she would fight another war for instead if she had to. Here he was, flesh and blood, and not just some memory she's been holding onto in her head, which faded more and more each day. He was real, something she could touch with that ever-boyish glaze of his eyes, that sense of sadness that he carried with him everywhere he went, heavy on his chest, but born with a sense of purpose, purpose he founded on love. Here he was, Harry Potter. The boy who lived, the most powerful wizard on earth, her best friend. She watches as Harry adjusts his stance, his frame slender and unassuming, his shoulders relaxing as he blinks, bewildered behind round lenses. He narrows his familiar eyes, and a voice she has heard only in her dreams for four long years ripples across the grass. Hermione? Hermione? <music>